25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Vampire the Requiem. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters. And they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolftheapocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hey everybody, welcome back to 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade Presents Requiem Mythologies Part 3. That's right, we decided it's going to be the final one. And for some of you, that's going to be, aww, and that's the vast majority of you. Others are going to be like, get to werewolf! And we understand. We understand. Uh, we're getting there. There's a lot of stuff we reviewed that we said that is uh, some, some good stuff to get into, but let's leave a lot of the book with the book. We had fun digging in and kind of giving the hour-length discussions that we could come up with. We could do this with every bit here that they have, but the fact is, is that we, the show must go on. <laughs> we got to continue, right? Uh, we've dug and kind of did a bit of a deep dive out of a, a passionate attempt uh, to share some of the, I won't say common mythology, but some of the, I would say fresh air, fellas. Uh, that is the, the different direction you can go uh, with a lot of what happens in Requiem or even your vampire game as a whole. Now, where we're going to start here is the modern le legendary, and that's in chapter two, uh, Living Myths. And in this chapter, this is talking about the urban myths maintained by the culture of the damned itself. And modern essay scrutinizing uh, the supernatural aspects of Requiem. So that's read as the little synopsis they have here, which, you know, why beat a dead horse? If it's already good and written, use it. And uh, that's that's one of the things that uh, we're hoping to land here. Uh, to that end, we're going to turn this over to DJ. DJ, you were telling me all about Solace earlier. And uh, if you could, please continue that discussion after you catch everybody else up. Sure. Uh, so, as we're introducing ourselves, hi folks, DJ here, and Brennan's somewhere in the background, but we'll give him time to go ahead and speak when his turn comes up. However, um, yeah, definitely Solace. So, this one section, Solace, and to give more levity, as, as Bob was mentioning regarding Chapter 2, this is the modern stuff, right? This is the stuff that's currently happening as of right now that people are hearing about. And where we deep dove uh, into Origins, what makes this portion cool and what's going to make Solace even greater is how it starts off. This story starts off like it's, its preface it comes into the form of um, a kindred by the name of Petra M is in an apartment building in Manhattan, chilling out. She's being observed like it's some sort of vice documentary. Uh, she pulls out this nice little tin can and pulls out a needle from it um, or blade and she just runs it across her tongue. And it seems like she's getting a high off of it. And you could almost hear the person on the other end of the quarter going like, well, what does that feel like? And after you see her shudder, she just says it makes her feel human. And then it completely goes into what I believe is probably the most intense description for a segment ever. Uh, the reason why is because solace is a drug. And they tell you that this drug doesn't exist. It's impossible for a drug to exist, especially for kindred. And we've heard to say before, especially when we're talking about Masquerade, that it's almost hard to kind of work with the properties of blood. I know that there are mechanics in there for you being doped up on like cocaine, weed, alcohol, anything that might affect, you know, whatever your vessel that you're feeding from. But specifically, we haven't seen that as much in this version of the game yet. And this one just throws it right in your face full heartedly. Why? Um, because this drug solace is gotten from a specific source. Um, 
it, it comes from what they call escrows. And what are escrows? Escrows, unfortunately, are the the vessels that produce this. What makes a perfect vessel for this? They've got to be young. They're typically Caucasian. Um, and most of the time, they're blonde. If not, they've dyed their head blonde. But what that's makes it even more disturbing... That's an interesting point. Why is it that they typically... Why does it matter that they're Caucasian, you think? I, 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 to offhand, I, I don't know because the other last determining factor is that they're people who either are prone to self-harming or self-injury. And that's the clincher that's there. That's a dangerous slope, right? That's that's a blanket statement that only white people like to self-harm. That's a, and suffer depression. Get, that, that, that's weird. That's weird. Do you feel the writing uh, deliberately takes it to that direction? Or do you feel that they chose like a common trope as seen? I think they chose a common trope in this particular case. And once again, folks, we're doing as a review, we're objectively speaking, and we're taking a look at like why they would have chosen this. And this is a flavor, right? It could have been anything else. It could have been any pick of the litter, so to speak. Anyone in the world could have produced a different flavor. But for this flavor that they're taking a look at, this is what produces this particular high, right? Brandon, I see your eyes rolling back for a moment. I guess I'll pause for a second as you want to approach that. Yeah. I, I, hi, everyone. It's Brennan uh, speaking from the void. Uh, yeah. So you said this is just a different flavor. Is that all solace is? I mean, wouldn't the same thing in terms of like, for example, some people like to get drunk. Some people like to get high. Is it not a different flavor in terms of how you experience your own um, ecstasy of sorts and or numbness? But like what, what what I'm asking is that is that just the same as someone? So you're saying that is the same as someone just like uh, 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 shooting up heroin and then being drunk from? It's the same feeling because I thought it was something like solace was supposed to be on another level. Oh, it definitely that. is. But I'm just saying in terms of okay. it's, it's a preferred drug, and this is like the drug, right? Like some people are like, oh man, do you? Okay. You know, like I could smoke a cigarette or I could get high at a party. Which one do I prefer? And some people like to to fly a little bit higher, uh, so to speak. And and that's the reason why. Hey, it's it's a concoction to say the very least. But it's it's very potent, folks, because what ends up happening here is the story also starts going into why it's important, right? And important to the people that are ingesting it. This also digs deep into the selfishness of that which is a vampire. Like this, it, the story without context is atrocious. Like if you were reading this as if it was a Vice documentary and this is happening in Cartel somewhere, as a human being, you're like. This is messed now, up. Now, DJ, I, I want to make certain, because this is the first time ever I could say that I can't tell if you're really excited about this or you're really nervous about this. Because to me, you're going a mile a minute. Does it seem that way to you too, Brennan? I, I, I think so. I'm uh, like, DJ, you got to slow it down for me. All right? I'm not. <laughs> you're right. But you know why? And I could say that I, I am nervous. And I, the reason I say I am nervous is because it's the first time that I've read in Requiem where something of a mature setting, right? This is why you earn a mature, uh, mature like rating on something, why the, the content material is very... Let me take some of the some of that from you then real quick. Let me take a little bit of yeah. that edge off, right? Number one, my man, we're mm -hmm. reviewing a book. To get back to that point, it was a hot topic to point out why Caucasian girls did you say an escrow would be? And why I brought that up because it's the prevalence mm -hmm. of blood dolls. What this is cleverly not calling it is a blood doll. And it reads that way. It's talking about a behavior mm -hmm. that way. It definitely goes a different direction. But I think why it's so raw is that when you – have you guys ever heard of blood dolls? Yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Uh, to kind of expand that for the for the audience at large, though, a blood doll is a human that is voluntarily fed from. They are almost addicted to the kiss itself, or in some way regularly available no, to be fed on. As far as vampires know it, right? And mythical and vampire mm-hmm. the masquerade and what this is. Did you know blood dolls exist in real life? And like the, I am, I, I'm aware that there's a vampire subculture. I am not that, uh, so, so you read, read up about the, on what about you, DJ? I've only heard whisperings, but I have not delved into that. Uh, okay, life. talking to some of these folks, perfectly rational people in a lot of ways, they have a different way of exploring life and what they enjoy, right? It's that simple. But where we pretend to be vampires, they believe they are. Their own social structure, what have you. If you see the comedy, uh, what we do in the shadows, Right? There's a guy in yes. there who's a, who's a, what is it, a psychic vampire? That's another uh-huh. one that's an aspect to believe. There are people in the vampire clubs, a community that do believe they're psychic vampires, not to that degree. You ever been around, to give you insight, you ever been around somebody who was so dramatic all the time? There is good and bad drama. I want to state this off the bat. Your, your good drama means it's entertaining. There's always something going on. And this person's really a joy to have around. They kind of give energy to a room. Have you experienced that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about the reverse? Absolutely. Can you you point out people who just sucked the life right out of a room? Right? In conversation. Just like that show. And that show makes it a trip because it's a thing. Well, because of that and because Uh you can see it, there are folks who believe that they actually can. Do they feed on that energy? That they are that that type and they could do that. There's also the very real aspect of, of blood. Right? Now, when we talk about the blood being the life and all that other fun stuff, things like that, I'll tell you as it was told to me as I as I met and and hung out with a couple of them, very cool people. They have an interesting way of of seeing the world, uh, very much into uh, beauty and eternal life and and being young forever and and all that stuff. Very artistic, very creative, but also very passionate, very devoted to a lifestyle that I didn't agree with where I was a storyteller for a LARP that I ran into them at. Um, when I when I went to their house and their place, it was very respectful. I'm still respectful of them now because just because I don't agree with how they live, like I wouldn't live that way, doesn't mean I think what they do is silly or immature or anything of the such. Because mm-hmm. to me, exactly not your why cup you have to understand this section is because when you're sitting here going, well, why would they say an escrow has to be a Caucasian, blah, 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 blah. Well, what I'm telling you is that the prevalence of a, let's just say goth culture back in the day, it's the 90s, that, that it's because it was. It simply was. It came from European culture. It's where, where pretty much its roots were in. And then it got big in major cities. And guess what? Not a whole lot of urban use are wanting to get involved in, uh, and by urban, I just say city, are really that much interested in the goth culture. You know, that's why it was a subculture. But as industrial and all that music starts kicking up and gets in there, it has its day in the night. I don't want to say in the sun, but in the night. And it's still going for some certain people, right? It's still out there. So because of that, blood to them was a type of passion you could taste in the blood because it bonded them to this blood doll, this donor, as it were. Blood doll would be very derivative of it. But when I read it, and you understand, I use where White Wolf got it from somewhere. Is how I treated everything. And when I got mm-hmm. Ghoul's Fatal Addiction and I started reading about their, uh, you know, net churches, documents and all that, I got curious about it. And somebody turned me on to somebody who actually did go and they were a quote unquote thrall. And as he told me, it's basically a blood doll. 
and we and we you can call it that, but it's you know because it's guys and girls, it's a gender thing. You would call a girl a blood doll, but you wouldn't a guy. And I'm certain that probably changed with the modern now. But I'm helping you understand where it comes from, like attaching. Oh, okay. So if these guys were writing about it here in Requiem, what they're doing is is going with the common denominator. But they're they're not. This is not a mm-hmm. racial statement. It's a common denominator. Why it's an S girl? It could be anybody, like you said, DJ. I like that you did. Why bring that insight? Often we go over it. We step right over it. And that could be taken to the negative. And I think that's why inherently, DJ, you were feeling nervous because it felt like, oh, shit, I made a statement. Whether political or otherwise, it's kind of, I just did. You did not, my friend. I didn't take it that way. But that's why I brought it up as a question just in case I missed in the reading and you saw definitively it had to be a certain type. Does that make a little more sense? It does. And mm-hmm. I think another part of it is like, the way it's also written, and as the story continues, once again, I, I think because of the way that it's almost written like a Vice documentary, is it tells you um, there's a shelf life for these S-girls, right? They have to, you, they only have so long because once they pass their teenage years, they're not going to be able to secrete and or produce this type of resonance in blood. And this is also probably one of the first few times prior to V5 that you do have resonance actually starting to show up, right? Because I don't remember reading anything like that, in at least to my knowledge, in Masquerade, but you definitely read it now. This is something that's being brought up in terms of them having to cultivate a, a specific type of resonance in order for them to produce And again, this. where you're reading it from, and even where Anne Rice got it, was because there was a vampire subculture. That's what they believe, that in the blood there translates mm-hmm. an energy. And that person you're feeding from is indeed that donor, right. is indeed that energy you're taking into yourself. And that's what they need to move on to do what they do. And this makes it fascinating, DJ, if you could, because I derailed there because I wanted to make you feel a little better. I hope that worked. Um can you pick up on the idea, though, of what this is about? Because, I mean, there's some artwork in here that shows, like, a I'm, assum- I'm assuming a vampire guy sitting in a chair, and there's four or five people that look just rejected, laying in the ground in all sorts of states of, like, oh, drained and what have you. What's going on there? Um, from that piece of art, it seems like everyone's been strung out and or they've had some of the solace there. And uh, I hate to put it this way, but it's true, folks. You, They're content. They feel something. And I think that's what solace is all about. No matter how bad this mortal might have it, the vampire's selfishness makes them want it even more because they themselves cannot feel. So even if they feel the sense of self-loathing, hatred, whatever they're running through their veins, it's much better than what they would have felt had they not taken it. Because as vampires, they are empty. And so to to take that, I thought that was I thought that was the most impactful thing out of it, right? As monstrous as the situation is. They're so empty, they need something like this just to give them that high. Now, as, as a question, I don't know if you guys have had familiar, familiarity with, with uh, drug abuse or, or been close to anybody with that. Um, I've, I've had friends. We'll leave it at that. And uh, I had always heard that it was never, never as good when you continually do it as it was the first time. And that's where the addiction mm-hmm. kicks in because they're always yeah. chasing that first. Is this like that, DJ? Or is right. it like the euphoric high every time? I would like to believe, based on how it's written, that it's like that, that they're trying to chase that first tie because they make it that much more scarce. And even the people that are marketing it keep telling you it's not real, which only drives up the demand, right? So part of it starts becoming psychological for you to start seeking it out. And word of mouth is what actually drives up the price and demand and this particular type of subculture. It's a dangerous world out there, even for vampires, even holding on to you know, a supplier, an S-girl, you have to defend it from other people trying to get it. Not only crackhead junkies trying to get at your supply, but other people that are also in the business because it's so rare to do so. 
Um, so it creates such a very dramatic um, environment. You know, one of the things that it also goes over in the storytelling section is, you know, I think this is what we also see in V5 more than we than we did in Masquerade is what happens if you come into contact with someone who is an escrow, right? Do you set them free? Do you take it for your own? What choice do you make regarding this person's fate? There's a there's a lot of potential there for for different types of to spin that story, right? Cuz you were talking about the Vice documentary setup of this, like the guy that uh that pinpointed the uh you know the typically white Caucasians. He he made it sound like he was hunting them down like he was one of those truffle hunters and he had like his bloodhound like a uh, pig that would just pick him out and then he'd I'll I'll just say distill solace, right? Then you have the other guy that uh that hunts them and then he just sells them outright. He's like I don't want to keep these. Right. It's um, it's um, it, the, the cost of keeping them is too high. And that just you all I have talked with both of you multiple times in games about how vampires see human like, you know, there's always that comparison to cattle. I have never read anything that really typified people as commodities before reading this section. And that was the feeling that always stuck in my head with this is because the solace existed because it gave someone so much leverage. Like you, every one of these escrows were, were killed after this, right? There's no, there's no surviving that. Like we, Bob brought up blood dolls earlier. Members of herd can survive for a while, right? It's not like they're going to be used one night and then bam, uh, escrows are going to have a quote unquote short shelf life, because of how, because of the effect they have and how sought there's, after they are, and that was uh, that was horrifying. <laughs> I felt I felt reviled a reading. Reason it. that you're feeling that revulsion. The artists do a beautiful blend and tap dance to avoid the real topics they pull it from. Mm-hmm. What they're talking about here, when you look at an escrow and you said how long would you keep them around and why, it's because you got to be able to look at the mileage of a hoe to understand how long you can push it. That's, that's, that's ice pick slim. Right? Is that right? Right. Iceberg. iceberg. I thought it was iceberg ice slim. Well, uh, and, different, and he, different conversation. And that's a coin phrase from, okay. uh, from that. I was recently, uh, it's a book segue, but I checked it out and I was profoundly amazed at, at the at the relationship similarities between how uh, the five pillars of power that they did for elders and how to treat your uh, children and ghouls um, translated well to, well, how he says pipping existed back in his day. And when you talk about that mileage of a person, it's very horrific, especially to the modern mind. When you hear this, you should never want to look at someone and go, I wonder how much mileage I can get out of them. But the simple fact is that's because mm-hmm. you have to be able to objectify a person and solely not care about their emotions and only care about what you can get from them. And that's what you have to do. And pimping is pimping is pimping, as it's said. Now, there is a culture of it that was made, you know, popular rap, hip hop, stuff like that, that did that. But they drew they drew attention to it, that they're forced to look at someone to be able to create something, to be able to make money, even if they got to use someone's body uh, to, to be that way. It's one of the only ways they can get that power they seek. Now, I want you to think about a vampire in Requiem. It's great you're a vampire, but in the Requiem, it's not like you have an entire clan that you can go to that owns and dominates power section in the city that as a primogen you get to go to, that's going to show you the world just because you share blood, right? That's that's not how that works mm-hmm. in Requiem. It depends on the makeup of the city. I know the common trope in in, in Vampire 20 uh, is that the clans exist that way, like these big organizations, almost like corporations, uh, one would see it that way. 
But that's why I like Requiem a lot, because it shows you how gritty it is. That you're an immortal? Great. So what? Now how are you going to make money, pay bills, and do it when you took daylight off the table? This is one way to do it. You know, you're looking at people as what they can give you and what what they can produce for you. And that's and why do you do that? Well, not to not to deaden this any further, but to highlight that should be the first question you ask yourself that how does how does being immortal change you relating to the way you see people? If they're now your food, I'll put it to you this way. I raised cattle on a farm. We had them. Now, it wasn't like cattle like it's a herd. We had like three that we tended, right? And because mm-hmm. it was so small, very personal relationship you can develop with them, especially as a kid. You're going out there, you milk them, that's cool. You give them their favorite food. You do that, the feed's out there. Pull them in when it's thunderstorming. And sometimes they'll be stubborn and just sit under a tree. You can do all these tricks to get them in. <laughs> but I never was like, ah, she's a family member. And we weren't allowed to give them a name. And I was always wondering why we weren't allowed to give them a name. Right. Well, to, that, to, attachment. that attachment's important because when it came time to sell them, uh, because you know we just got done farming, we didn't want to do it anymore. I had a family of medical nurses. Right. Registered nurses. They were like, mm-hmm. we're done. We're, we're hospital full time. We're not we're done with this farm and making cheese stuff. And uh, it was a uh, it was cute. while it lasted. Chicken coops done. Let's sell the horses and the cows. Well, when we got around to doing that jokes on us because lightning hit a cow. Right. And how we discovered this and why I'm pointing this out when when lightning struck a cow in a field, we didn't know it for three days. It smelled like burnt meat for, for three, like burnt barbecue. <laughs> For three days, right? We're coming home from school on the bus. We're getting out, going in. We don't know what's going on. We see our cow in the field and we just ignored it. We don't know what's going on. It would be my uncle who went out there to like drag the cow in because it was weird that it stood out there so long. And finally, like the kids noticed it, told the parents and they're like, okay. And my uncle said he touched it and it rolled. It died standing up. It, it was dead and cooked, right? Is what is what it was. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, but wow. nobody, and then why I bring that up, nobody shed a tear nobody cried they were like ah sucks you know we were out some meat to sell and whatever and that's exactly what i'm reminded of every single time i play a vampire and that question comes up well how do you see mortals well don't call him brennan great guy you know he's he's edits and does all sorts of it stuff but definitely don't call him brennan because then he'll get attached to you you won't do that maybe i'll ghoul him if he does a good enough job i don't know i don't want to get into it too much with him you see what i'm saying like, that's the effect is that mm-hmm. distance. And now I look at this, and why I agree with DJ on the solace portion is that that insidious flavor is captured and forced upon you here in a way that no discipline could do it, right? It would be cheapened if this culture was because they were like, oh, yeah, this discipline does it at solace, make the drug with a touch and walk away because it's like it gives reasons. Right. It's like, oh, I have to be the magical vampire with the touch to do it. But that's not the case, though. And that's what I want you to explain, DJ. This is so bad, but is it is it a myth that this exists and it's all in their head and they're just good marketing? Or is it really a thing? Like, why does it occur? I think, you know, and it's weird you should say that because I'm trying not to look at it from a human perspective, right? Actually, I'll cover both because our readers might also take the same route. When you take a look at it, you wonder whether the myth is, are vampires that fucked up that they're willing to do something like this? The answer, obviously, is yes. But you you pause for a moment to go, are they willing to do this? And number two, does this drug really exist or is this just a myth that's thrown out there? But much like 
I forget who had quoted this, but I remember saying, if a human could think it, chances are it probably happens, right? So long as you could think it, you can make it. So even if this was just a story, you got to believe somewhere out there, some entrepreneurial like kindred is like rubbing their chin going like, yeah, I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go test this out. Right. And even if it was a myth, it's now a reality. And I think that's what makes it even scarier is like it, it can happen. And it definitely will. And I think um, that's what adds more credence to this particular story. And much like your story about the cow getting struck by lightning, no one's going to care if someone goes missing. Tammy goes missing a couple of days. Oh, well, so what? She ran away from home. She's just being petulant child, right? right? Little does anyone know, Tammy just got sold, you know, into this particular ring because she got to produce S. And she's only producing S for so long because when once she hit a certain age, we can't keep her around no more. And either she's worn out. Or she's going to tell someone, so the only way to do it is clean up the masquerade, the only way vampires are told to how, especially those on lower humanity scale. It is what it is. And uh, it 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 reads literally off like a cartel story to a certain degree just because of what has to happen. It's a it's a gross reality, but it's, it's one that hits you right in the face for how Requiem is that much more grittier. Or this topic gets covered here, and I haven't seen it in, in Masquerade. I thought that's a, one of the bigger reasons to bring it up. I agree. So if it's uh, if it's just the horror of drug addiction brought about through blood and the emotions in the blood and whether or not they exist and saying that they do exist, what is the real danger here? You start experimenting more. At least that's how I would see it. If it worked with this type of person, it's time to go ahead and find me. It, it reminds me of that... Uh, that Diddy sketch. I need Cambodian breast milk. <laughs> Go fetch it for me. And it's like, well, it, it's that it's that escalation. What will you do to stop it? There's um, there was one of the uh, one of those interviews in this section that really stuck with me. It was like some gangrel who was talking about how dying was the best thing that ever happened to him. He went on to describe his mortal life as just being filled with like abuse. And as as a vampire, he was strong. He was a predator. He was everything he wanted to be up until he had the misfortune of trying solace once. And once he awoke from that reverie, he tore apart the dealer because he took away the one thing he had, that dying was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because while he was on solace, he felt all those those good emotions, those positive things about being alive, of what could have been if his life had been a little bit different. And that that like struck with me. I'm like... This, this, I love that section, that paragraph. I need to like pin it and like put it on my like requiem like board because that like typified the, the vampiric curse for me. Like it, it, the, it, what it, it, it was beautiful. What it does it, it is made it me cry. What isn't really spoken in requiem it doesn't come out and dead say it, but like the paleness of the vampires in requiem and the artwork, even more pale. Right, if you compare the artwork to Requiem to what they do in, uh, in, 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 in I don't know if I'm a classic, like V20 and whatnot, um, they, they yeah. look mm -hmm. more human, right? Unless they're Sabbat or low human. Right. They look like they blend in better. But in Requiem, oh, them dead. Them dead as a gitch. You yeah. Them, <laughs> oh, you are pale. And Not only that, but did you also notice that they... <laughs> right. I was about to say, did you also notice that they always look strung out? Yes. Or they're, they're eternally sad? No. Right? It's like they're literally yeah. stuck in their own living anyway every single evening, and something has to stir them. And every time we capture an image that we've seen so far in every book, they're you the photographer, if we were even to say that, right? Capture them right at the moment of when they're about to make an action or they got done. And either the high went away or the high is about to kick in. I feel it's because uh, Requiem is highlighting the fact that you are a dead thing. You are almost more of a ghost. Mm -hmm. Haunting. You're most. You're mostly a revenant than you are an actual immortal, 
right? It's not, it's not like a power. We know mm-hmm. it's not, but I mean, like, imagine for a second that it is like that because of the basics that you have. You're only feeling alive when the blood is flowing into your mouth. And that's when the pleasure hits and the memories and the centers are, the beast is humming and purring and you're all happy with it, right? Everything's good to go in that moment. So it makes sense. So this solace is like it's saying that if this exists, this is literally putting the emotions that you don't, you can't feel. So when we talked about it before, I know we said mm-hmm. it on this very pod, that a vampire has the memories that are triggered based on what they do, and particularly when they feed in a certain person that kind of registers in their brain. V5 said, screw it. It's not the memories. You can taste the emotion in them. And that's what it is. And this is saying Solace does that very thing. And that's why it's addictive, because it's mm-hmm. important to note that otherwise you're going to do what I did. When I first came, it took me a couple of times to come through before I'm like, ah, this is deceptively simple. When you get to it, it says solace is basically an addiction. It's a derangement. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Right? You're a vampire. You're already an addict. <laughs> what's what's it matter that's a specific all person? Right. Does this mean the whole the Ventrue clan is special? I'm just saying. You know, they're not being led around like strung out addicts. So why is this special? That's why it's special. Because it will be based on how the emotional, psychological makeup, i.e., if you're pining after the good old days, solace is going to hook you. Big time, right? Especially if you can't feel anymore. If you're that elder who's forgotten of them, it's going to hook you and hit you like a ton of bricks. But what if you're somebody who was used to getting it anyway? Maybe not so much. I don't know. Depends on you and your game. And that's and I and I agree to you. That's why I like that section a lot. Uh, but if you could, what's the rest of this chapter like? I mean, I know that's solace, but what else? Uh, the uh, another highlight, at least for me, out of this book was uh, the art and the blood, which is um, uh, probably I guarantee everyone is familiar with it, even if you don't uh, recognize the the title of it. This is um, it starts out with like one of the longer actual stories I think in this chapter. It talks about this painter from the time he was a child to the time he like died. And um, who had a very prolific life, right? Even from a, a young age, he was well known, like won a won some uh, prize in like Rome at the age of like three to something to that degree. But there was something that happened in his life that was almost like a, an early life crisis. And after that, he started painting portraits of people, painted hundreds upon hundreds of portraits. And it goes on to talk about his family members that died and he, how he lived to a ripe old age of like. 90 something in the 1800s but he was as strong as like a 40 year old right until he suspiciously died one day and the entire point of this is that either he was embraced embraced himself or was related in some way to a ghoul family because his portraits were in some way alive right by painting by painting all these all these peoples and portraits he severed the soul from the individual and bound it to the painting i'm sure that sounds familiar to to most of us right this is a very like dorian gray vibe and uh there were well we've talked about this a couple of times right in storyteller sections it's like these these are all these ways that could that could spin it the the this made me like jump for joy because it started talking about the idea that he um the painter wasn't actually the the guy. It was a topa. It was a, a an idea he had that sprung to life and started making these. Because that's uh that's uh do you, do you know what I mean by that? Have you Pretend heard that I term did. before? Not topa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a topa is basically 
an idea or a thought that someone or something has brought to life in the real world. They, they're if you if you start reading up about them, they'll be tied into things like the the idea of a doppelganger that there's a, a another one of you uh. out in existence and living your life. I uh, I fell down a rabbit hole about these from like some some horror novel I read like a couple of months ago. So going back and reading this, this made me like all kinds of giddy because that that is what it ends up being, right? When you make these portraits, they're called imo- uh, imagos or imagos, yeah. something something to that effect. It's just Latin for image. If any of y'all were wondering, I was I was like, what does this mean? Like you know, did my Google things like it means image dummy? He's <laughs> like, well. <laughs> I could have guessed that, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, it it makes another one of you because that portrait is alive, and I th- it it blew my mind when they were when they were talking about how you could run this pot. It's like yeah, there's like 500 paintings, they're all working together, they're all alive, they all can think. It's all one big conspiracy to bring back like one big like ritual, right? Maybe it's a circle of the crone ritual, maybe the Ordo are doing it. I'm not going to go out on this podcast and tell you because it's a good section. And if you're listening to this, you should really read it. But this is one of my favorite sections out of this book. So hang on. I'm just making. But why would you use it or how? That's where I'm at. Right? Like, how... that's where I'm at. I'm right with DJ. I'm not even take it away from. Please answer his question. Yeah. Uh, how There's a, there's several different ways you could, you could run it, right? It's the, um, uh, just, just out of like good basic hooks for like circle of the crone stories or for circle of the crone players. This is, um, this is one of the things, this highlights one of the things I love about Chronicles of Darkness and that it is very, I'm going to say weird to describe it. It's not what you would expect from a vampire story. It gives you an extra, an extra flavor to run a story about immortality, right? Because if you are able to, be an immortal and you have some of these um well you don't have some of these weaknesses right like that painter vernay he was uh described as being able to go out in the sunlight and paint as well but even if that's the case what are the other what are the other drawbacks that there would be right is there is it is that moral decline like a faster slope because you're so much more given to excess, right? That's one of the biggest things about uh, Dorian Gray, right? As he was surviving and living and the, the portrait was taking on all of his consequences, he was in his own way addicted, right? We circle it back to Solace. He's escalating what he's doing to, to hit that high once again. It's interesting. Um I'm with you because I mean it's sort it's sort of like saying that the because uh, I am a fan of Dorian Gray that you can have uh, potentially a person that doesn't die, right? Because you're that painting, right? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I about getting you right? You're saying that this painting creates puppets and exerts its will through it, but the painting really can't do anything. Like it's immortal there itself, <laughs> but it's who it's controlling that's really gaining any benefit from this painting. Right. Or who it's controlling, who it's influencing. Uh, you could, yeah, the the straight up connection is never like solely like set in stone to find, but they give you like throughout the rest of this book ideas to take the ball and run with. It's interesting. I think, I think if I was, as I'm reading it, right, one of the things that kind of makes it creepy is twofold. I think if I was running it the first time around and I was playing around with mortals, I could guarantee their immortality and prove it to them and be like, see, you'll never die. In fact, that's just you. You just haven't seen it yet. 
and then have an entire gallery of people who have just dedicated to becoming blood dolls and are part of my horde or like a way to grow influence. The other one would be, what if the horror comes from you discovering this, right? And you created a fork of yourself. And now who's the real you? As I create this image and it stares back at me and up until the moment of creation, it knows what I know. And based on the fact that the Imago has the same amount of disciplines if you're doing it from a vampire's perspective, mm -hmm. whereas it might not be able to use celerity or potence or, you know, or vigor in this case, it can use dominate. So how many times are you probably drawing the portrait and bleeding yourself into it and it's your thought and not the image that was staring back at you that dominated you into doing it? I think that's another creepy way I would probably employ it, but it's it's definitely an odd duck to say the least. But I could see where the potential from that comes, at least in terms of the. Well, concept. we talk about in here that with it, it's 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 the exact angle they go at that for the imago to be created, the painter, it, it's a sorcerous rite, right? It's a thing they do, and depending on how mm -hmm. much they blood determines how strong the imago is, it also states in here: what if they paint the wrong half of their nature to it? Right? So what if you paint, right? <laughs> Ideally, you would paint your beast in the Imago. Right? It'd be a benefit. And then the gentler mm -hmm. nature that you are gets to walk around in this torturous existence. But what if you're a, what if you're an asshole, a selfish asshole to begin with? And now you trap this beast where it is in your Imago. You just created your own nemesis that you can never be rid of. And it's going to be there to wreak havoc mm -hmm. in your home, your haven, what have you. But I would add further that there's there's a lot of potential to play with this. For a player, still a vampire, but maybe you make it to where the sunlight doesn't burn them. They can't get staked. Death is immune to them, but they don't get access to their disciplines. As a consequence, right? They can heal in the terms as they will come back the next night when they wake, when the blood's used for the painting. But they still got to bring that sacrifice home to the painting. A painting that can only feed when the life-size mirror is unveiled in the bedroom. When they, when they take it off as the beast for that moment is able to materialize in you and you're able to feed finally to put more blood back on the painting or however you want to run it. However you choose to do that, that would be a cool horror film to see. Would it be good for a, a game? Right, can you imagine that? How unique would you feel if you ran a game where, fi where five friends sit down to play this game and there are, they get Imagos? And that's what they're going to do. Would you feel unique or would you just be calling yourself Clan Amago? Yeah, if it, if it was an entire like coterie of Amago vampires, I, I feel as though they would kind of lessen it a bit, right? There's a, a part of these these myths, right? The, the attraction to them is that they're not common, right? That they are unique and that the more the more you make any of these like a commodity, the, the cheaper it's going to be. I... I I, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't see the appeal in making it something widespread like that. But having it be something that is available to one person's ghoul or one person that's playing a ghoul, or to make that like the center point of a plot line, yeah. I, I think that that is awesome. That, that I like could the be fact compelling. that there's a vampire who possesses the ability to make ghouls, but does the upkeep through the paintings. That the blood it puts on the painting, though it sits there. It, that ghoul, I mean, it's just an added element that you could sit there being a ghoul and you have your immortality and you have that power you can have maintained just like mm -hmm. normal, except the ghoul doesn't sit there and have these strange peculiarities because it has this painting, right? So eliminate that beast and that frenzied aspect. Ooh. You're just, we're just the three of us doing podcasts because some vampire behind the scenes controls a painting of all of us doing these shows, right? And that's, and that's fun, but that once a month he'll come by and determine 
the worth or work that we've done based on the painting. And some he'll just let dry a little more than others, but it has a very real effect on the person. But what happens to some might feel weaker, some will feel golden, mm-hmm. some will feel invigorated and refreshed. And that that has a grand appeal uh, to it that you would play a game based on that if there were multiple people. Knowing you had a painting that served as your enslavement, especially when you add the fact that your painting, your painting does have that darker half that only exists when you stare at it. That's when it can talk to you. That's when that inner monologue begins and the ST does what it does as you're trying to find ways and it's urging you to do things to appease your master. And only it knows, because just like Requiem has ties to the blood, it knows it well. And there's an intimacy that's connected there. Even better if the master can hear the conversations had by his own beast impressed upon these people through these paintings. Oh. Right? That makes it chilling. Right? It makes it, it makes it very, very cool, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's now I'm now I want to run that game one time to see how it goes or be in it, right? That's a very <laughs> just to see. I, I mean it'd be so cool. The other one yeah. I thought about was like what if and this is obviously giving a plot away, but folks, you could always pull this on your players. What if the story did focus upon one of your missing coterie members or someone who was your mentor and all you have is the image left. However, the image is just the beast and the entire time these, the beast is sending you on a wild goose chase just because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's getting its kicks off from just watching you lose your humanity. And at one point it might even drag you into the picture to become part of a happy family. Or even right? creepier. And this is a great one. All that's left of your sire is this bloodless husk sitting on the bed and there's this grand painting that's existed since like the 10th century, some weird thing he picked up that's on the wall and it was painted in blood. And what it looks like is that it's a, it's an old ancient city and there's nobody in it. It's just empty. Now for the life of you, you thought you could have (laughs) swore there was something in there. Yeah, whatever. But you inherit the painting. You're the next in line. And what it shows is that when you get the painting, apparently there's a light on in a house. Like there's a fire there when you have the painting you're like, what the, but every time you frenzy and every time you lose your humanity, the painting updates as if something's getting closer. Oh. So it starts like there's a light on oh. and then it's there's someone downstairs. Right. And then there's something that's walking towards you as if you're viewing the painting and yeah. then it's up on a roof and then it's getting where you're at. And then eventually it looks like your haven and in your room. Right. Yeah, I want I, I want to play that game. I want to watch that movie. That reminds me of like Velvet Buzzsaw, and it follows like all mashed Both into one beautiful thing. That. I'm actually ripping off completely a great idea, and it was from a show called The Night Gallery, one of its most successful episodes. Yeah, I know yeah. that song. I know that show. Why do I know that show? Was a painter who um, who did that very thing. There was there was like a disappearance, and he was freaking out because this painting was updating, and he could see it. And a lot of it's lost to the fog of memory, but it was one of the ones that kept me awake at night when I saw it. It was a, it was a great one. However, I like this variation that you could do that because think about that. Your players would never guess ever in a million years that's what it was. And the ones who did wouldn't trust it, right? That's a great one if you have a player mm-hmm. that knows all the rules, right? They read all the books. They know it all throw that curveball. I guarantee you, you will not regret it. It's a good one. Uh, but since we're on that that topic, and it's a, that's a great one, and Brent trying to change my opinion. Originally, I was like, eh, I don't know, I read that, and I didn't get the same feel, and I was like, going, well, yeah, he's got a point, Dorian Gray, and strangely, that didn't hit me in the head till you said it. And I was like, oh, okay, I appreciate that. 
I, I, I will give you a, a little bit of like an admission. I think I've only told a couple of people. I read Dorian Gray in like uh, in English lit class, right? As I was reading it, I thought it was the worst book I ever read. I didn't actually like it until I finished it and I sat down and thought, hmm, that was a good book. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to get all the way through it before I realized, yeah, all right, it was good. And I was, I angrily admitted that to myself. I was like, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> well, all right, we're going to apply that approach um, to chapter three, final chapter. Uh, here we have where monsters fear to tread. Um, this right here, I'd say, has those, uh, those, those legendary stories that even the undead fear. It's stuff that they know and they hear about that kind of plague them. What keeps them up in their coffin during the day? Right? What keeps them? Hey, all right, ghouls, stay close. I'll hear if you leave. You stay while I sleep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what was this David Dead show? I forget it so much. It was uh, Guillermo. Oh, Guillermo. So but anyway, um, for the Guillermo's in us, um, Brentron, specifically, I'm going to pick on you because you told us a lot about the Hunter section. Me and DJ heard you like mm-hmm. clocked it six times. You mentioned it that we got to talk about it. So, so let's do it. Yeah. But folks, I'm going to preface this. This final chapter. All of this book is worth going through front to back. We're only going through the highlights because really in the end, we want to leave a lot of stuff for you too, despite our passion for it. It's what we're doing. So, but tell us, why does the hunter stick out as, as your go-to must? Uh, so that sticks out for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is honestly is because that was one of the first things I read, like when I got into Requiem and like tabletop role playing. Like when I got into this like six years ago at this point, I bought the second Ed Requiem book, first gaming book I ever bought. And I also bought Mythologies because like, oh, this is about the origins. I, I need to read this. And of course, I did the this thing every new player does. I flipped through it and read sections. I didn't read it all to, you know, get context. Uh, and I stumbled on The Hunter. And I think... I think I read this around the time It Follows stood out, and I was like, this this is right up my alley. Because the hunter is an, Im- I believe the word implacable, an implacable enemy. I think that's appropriate for this one that will not stop or tire. That That is what the hunter is. It comes after vampires, and it will not, if not wipe out a whole city, it will wipe out entire coteries or groups all come together, and it will not stop until it gets its one singular target. And as we've talked about on multiple podcasts before, I really like action. I really like high-speed, low-drag. This hunter, this antagonist, is perfect for a high-action story that cannot be solved by action or violence. It has to be figured out. It has to be played out. It has to be investigated. All with a, like the sword of Damocles hanging over your head. Because even if you weren't like the main target, the reason the hunter came to the city to begin with, if you see it, if you fight it, and you survive somehow, it's going to come after you. Every time. All right, All right. that's a good setup. But let's, uh, let's, let's see what you got. You, you know, i got to convince us, right? I'm, I'm speaking for everyone here. Uh, if you've seen one hunter, you've seen them all. I too saw the Frog Brothers and was pissed off that they killed the Lost Boys. That should have <laughs> torn them apart, right? Um, I think the uh, the Lost Boys are the the tragic loss in the horror industry of how they went out. Because uh, if you saw his shows later on in life, he D- David could have lasted for quite some time, at least a couple seasons, right? Just rolling on out, making a Netflix show before it's time. But the point is, Frog Brothers to the Second Inquisition. There are many mythical vampiric takes on what hunters they should fear during the day. 
what makes this hunter section for you? Mm-hmm. Why did it hit you as, oh man, this is this is everything. This is why you should fear it. Why can't we attack them and just shoot them? This hunter is not like a is not like a human hunter, right? It's not like someone that decided vampires killed my family, so I'm gonna come after it. This is a thing, and it's it's not even like comparable to like even you know a john wick action film this is a thing of like not pure desire but that is hunting is what it is it's what it does it has different reasons why it would hunt vampires probably like maybe it goes after the worst like the most heinous right maybe it goes after vampires that try to become human to pretend to be something that they're not for whatever reason it comes after someone it is single-minded and determined it is you can fight it if you can beat it, right? It will die, but it will come back later, even after it's dead. Not like a vampire rising from torpor. You can cut its head off. You can burn it. You can cover it in like the, you can pull, what What was his name? They made the Irishman about him. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Hoffa. They think he's like buried in the in the found yeah Hoffa. They they think he's like uh, in the foundation of some stadium in New Jersey. You could do that to the hunter. He's going to come back later because he's not human. He's not kindred. He's something else entirely. So I think that's it's, why I keep making that. I was about to say because it almost sounds like uh, it almost sounds like it's more the concept. And I think to to give more grounding to it, I think your analogy to it follows that movie is a lot better than what I originally thought. Because if you mention a hunter with like mm-hmm. sole purpose, I'm thinking Sullivan Dane out of Masquerade, right? That dude does not stop. That guy's gonna go do what he gotta do. But to know that no matter whether you kill it or not, and it's something that's following through, um, I think probably the name Hunter is probably a misnomer. I would probably say that because mm-hmm. it could literally be someone a revenant of sorts, anything a concept that just follows and will not stop at its particular target because they have a sin they have to pay for. And then that's what ends up happening. And if you interfere with the sin, it's going to detour. Or at one point, maybe now you became part of its revenge story and it's going to go in that particular fashion. But I think to to clarify it for our listeners, it's not just your typical hunter. It's not just, you know, as, as Brendan was mentioning, someone who got done wrong and then he's he's out with a stake and, and cross to, to avenge things. I think it's more the concept of something that came back to do something. Like the Wraith, right? God, that was an old movie. Wasn't yeah. that with Charlie Sheen? <laughs> the Wraith. Jeez. The Wraith was an interesting movie uh everyone liked the car right that's the anyway anyway yeah I the think. point of the hunter here <laughs> i i don't know what movies because, they're talking because about been this is the first that's for me when he came out when you start quoting <laughs> it follows when i was that young i'm like i was paying freaking mortgage at that point uh that's <laughs> you, all right man uh paying rent sorry i own a house but the point is um is um, there was the thing right um the put us back on track what you're talking about, it follows. It follows is a monster. That's why you keep referring to mm-hmm. it. It's a monster. Oh, yeah. That that never occurred to me. People the wouldn't film, know what that film follows, is. I'm sorry. <laughs> doesn't have an explanation, right? And it doesn't need one. There is an entity that can take the form of whatever it chooses to go after its victim. And how how it chooses its victims is sexually transmitted. So we know it has something mm-hmm. to do with procreation. Of some sort. There's all sorts of myths people can have, but this is the power of the being that is the it, and it follows, is that it. No one knows its origins, and if you don't know its origins, you can't stop it. That's that's how it works. Now there are thoughts that it could be uh, a woman only was the thought, and that's not true. It could be a male. It could be whatever it chooses, to, as long as it's the victim previous going after someone new. 
right? And the only way that you can get it to not target you is to have multiple partners ahead of you. And everyone you sleep with is one that it will kill before it comes to you. Guaranteed, it'll kill that person mm-hmm. first. Now, what is interesting about that film that makes it incredibly terrifying is that you really have no way to know, right? It's like it's a it's like a story that tells you beware of sleeping around. If you find that super slutty guy, that super slutty girl, and then they just walk away like it's a transaction, you may be next, right? They're just extending their life. Mm-hmm. Who's the real monster in that film? Is it the thing coming for whoever it is that's cursed, or is it the person going around signing death warrants with their body? And what is it? Yep. It even interests mm-hmm. opens the fact that what happens if you rape someone? By the way, it'll still work. It doesn't care. It's the act of sexual intercourse. Why? Why is that? We don't know. In particular, it seems to be a curse. But that's why that film is terrifying. Watch it. Right? It's a it's mm-hmm. a it'll seem campy to you because it starts with, I believe it's college co-eds or 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 very much late teens last year, senior year, or something like that. But the point is. It's devastating to see what they have to go through to try to try to deal with it. And it's there and it plays in a lot, right? The, the fear of that first time and virginity and everything else too is thrown in. But how that applies to the hunter is that the hunter's relentlessness. No one knows where it comes from. And because they don't know what it is, they don't know what it's about, they only have theory. Well, now, if I'm going to tell you but there are a bunch of immortals because this is vampire horrific are running around going, hey, did you hear about the hunter? The one that in California in 1812 got it started at that gold mine rush? He's like, yeah, he got them all, buddy. What do you mean? It killed everybody in that mine. Not. It's like, it, it's, it reminds you of like kids off screen in the, hall, in the Halloween films. Like, hey, did you hear about Michael Myers? It's like, he's not real. And there's a guy in like the, the what was his name? William Shatner mask walking behind him as they're talking. There's a a lot of stuff to it, right? Now, why I love this so much for the same reason you do, except for the added fact that um, all it does at the end of the day is make it to where players can't team up and kill the big bad. If you're... Mm -hmm. That's what I meant by, like, it could you could have action. It could scratch that itch. It's not going to solve the plot. There's no one guy coming in with, oh, I got my five vigor, my five resilience. I'm going to take it down. To the reverse, you should say, yeah, have that guy. Have that guy. This is great for an Elder Chronicle. You say there's a bunch of elders in your game. You're saying you got a whole bunch of people with high blood points yeah. that want to sling all that yay and have all that power. Let them. Let them, because the plot's about the hunter. That's what it is, and it starts uh-huh. with the prince ends up dead. Why? They find a dry, desiccated white corpse that's translucent, its flesh torn open, bits around the room, and there's a painting of a city with one light on. Right? You could combine them. I'm saying that. You could literally throw them both in. Right? Right? And have it in there, and then it's the force from the painting. Who knows? I'm teasing, but I don't want to take away from the hunter or from that possibility. Uh, But the, the hunter in and of itself, what I like about it is, if you're somebody who has to get used to talking, about role-playing power struggles and fights and your players have seen it all and they know the right combos. Why this will stand in their head is because this doesn't say that the hunter can't be killed. It says it can't be stopped. That's the important part. There's a feeling of hopelessness that should be there. And it forces them to find a way to pass this on to someone else or to face the inevitable. Is it not better to die and stop? the hunter coming through, let it have its revenge or whatever it's looking for and why it wants to kill you, then letting it continue on. 
Well, it depends on what it wants, and it depends on what you build the story. This literally is something that says, the plot is, the hunter kills everybody, and the game's over. Right? <laughs> Roll credits. However, that's the ending of the game. We haven't even started session zero yet. And you're the storyteller. That's the end plot. Uh-huh. How you get there now is to tell the stories on back up to the player's involvement all the way through. And that's NPCs getting the shaft and everything else. You could build a whole chronicle about this. And just have it go, you throw Bilal's yep. brood or whatever you want, because you have the Terminator. You have the thing that's going to come through and roll over everybody in horrific fashion. Can you imagine it? Your players fight and finally the social strata, and they get up there in the Invictus, and they're considered something special. And it's their job to protect the city. They got the power now, and the prince is giving them stuff, and they have all these rewards, and they've diabolized, and oh, we're naughty vampires, we're bloody and evil. What do you mean? The Order of Drag has been wiped out. Well, who did that? We were going to do that next month. <laughs> my, what about my big plan? Well, what do you mean? That the Circle of the Crone it wants to wants to meet and are willing to give us that guy we always wanted, who's the nemesis problem, the head of their cult. We, what's going on here? What do you mean the prince is moving? Why is the prince moving and not telling? Is the, <laughs> the prince, prince is, is moving? The prince? Oh, I'm prince now. I kind of like this. I'm prince now. Wait a minute. Why is there a ghoul gibbering in the corner talking about it? It, it won't stop. It's in his head. It keeps talking to him. Uh-huh. Why does it have to? What do you mean you got to <laughs> unlock all the doors before I go to sleep today? What the hell's going on? What's going on? I may be loving this a tad too much. So for players listening, if I run a Requiem game, it's, I already wrote the plot. It's it's so good. It's so good. And one and if you do for somehow figure out how to stop the hunter and you're sitting there as the prince oh all of a sudden the next court you're running oh there's a woman that really likes to cover up her hands but i saw a, a glimpse of them she's got like these like bird talent hands it's really weird what's her name ah i i couldn't remember something something unholy here's the thing i'm sure it's fine about that because those are two different things <laughs> the unholy is the unholy yeah? lineage story book origins the whole nine we know what the unholy is right that's something that goes and, and troubles the hell out of Max Wan's domain in Chicago. That's their canon. That's that's, that's a that's a boogeyman, but that's not a monster. That's their smiling Jack, right? uh-huh. for lack of that's a better what, term. It's that trouble man. Yeah. Got not the same thing. It the really is. is the one thing I would say. This is what kills the unholy. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. She can't. She's about disorder, right? She she's about like people acknowledging that they were hypocrites and you know fucking stopping it. But even she, with her storied history, with her ag dealing claws, whose ability is named after her, she can't stop this. Implacable was the word I was looking for. I did I did double check because well, I never used that word before. It well, means unstoppable. He can't be stopped. I don't care about your ag claws. I don't care about your crew act. You can't do it. <laughs> not like but that. Like it's not that, that simple, Jack. Him. I like the fact that she'd have shoot him. He yes. died, but then I won't know. And what's the problem with that? Crap. What are they? What's it going to look like when it comes again? Why? Because there should be an old man mopping the bucket in that hallway that goes, he'll be back. He'll be back. It's all. <laughs> he always comes back. I've been here back. since 1943. <laughs> There's one coterie that's like set up creepers. as like the scapegoat. Every year that the city just props up like anything you want. Blood, you got it. Ammo, it's yours. Cars, you got them. You just got to right, hunt, hunt the, the hunter. hunter. <laughs> All you got to say is like, uh, bro, this takes that trope of, of Wellville for vampires, right? It's the perfect city. Yeah, you were just made tired of not moving up the social strata. Look at the city where all the covens get along. 
All the clans matter. That's right. Come on down to Bobville. That's right. Everybody come to Bobville where everyone's prince. Yeah. And then, then you get there and there's a weird lottery. We only know one thing. Whoever has the title of prince, they're the next one killed inside of the full moon. Like Shirley Jackson's That's just how the lottery? It is. The uh... most powerful elders in the city do nothing but sit back and make sure they have the reins of power. Oh, you're here to fit. Oh, you're the prince. Here you go. Rule us. Rule us. Teach you secrets of my clan. Certainly. All you would just stay here. What? Don't leave the boundaries of the city until the next full moon. Full moon you can leave then. I don't ever want to leave. I'm prince. Yes, your majesty. And he bows. And the whole time, this Cody's sitting in the back going, another sucker. Thank God. Hey, did we figure out what's going on? Why? What's this thing get? All we have is that it killed Mortimer easily and did it with an 18-wheeler right through the house. It didn't care. Yeah, how do we know it's the same guy? It doesn't talk anymore. It just stares at you and walks towards you slowly. It doesn't run. It just knows where you're at. Mortimer did multiple phone. You get the idea. And you can keep doing this trope to make it go. It sounds silly. But man, you want to talk about a fun Halloween one why, shot? Why is that trope so terrifying? Not the not the like sprinting psychopath, but the one that just slowly walks that always knows where you are. It's, it's like it, you can't outrun. Is, you can run faster than it, but you can't outrun it because it's the trope of death. Right? It's coming. No matter what, no matter how far you try to run, make, it, that's exactly it's what coming. it is. It's just coming, and you at one point have to face it. And you could do as many things to divert there's, yourself away from it, but an inevitability. There's one thing worse than death, where I think it actually comes from. That's the ass whooping that only mom can give. <laughs> right? Oh, oh, think about it. When you're a child, no. what was more terrifying than your parents being upset and you knew a spanking was coming? For you... If, if, if your parents gave you timeouts, you lucky whiners, whatever, right? I didn't get a timeout. I got my time to heal. That's what I had, right? Yeah. That yeah, belt I got was the a belt. thing. And I want to tell you right now, all it took was once yeah. from each parent, once. And it didn't matter whether it was me or my older sister who got the whooping for whatever happened. You didn't want to be the next one. Whatever they did became the new law of the household. And I'll tell you why. There is a mystical power that mothers had. That you knew when they when they had had it and you were getting that ass whooping, it would literally be like, "Well, you've disappointed me. Wait till we get home." And immediately you're like, "No, yep. no." But then you're then you're on the bus or you're in the car, or you're waiting in school, and the time's ticking down, and you shouldn't have done what you did, and you're thinking you're going to plead and beg and borrow and maybe crying will work and do whatever. And all that woman is doing is she's lubing up the arm, right? She's got the shoulder joints working. She's stretching. Right, she's doing she's, the arm circles. She's reading so she in her, her nursing guide of the of the eighteen hour shift she's had to perform back to back in two different jobs to afford her going to night class to learn how to be a registered nurse. And now she's reading how to cover up bruises on her child. And that's right. There's just like evil things going through her head, but she doesn't want to go that far. She knows that, but she wants to stress the point. That's I'm telling you this. My mother never said she did that. That's what went through my head. When I knew the dagger was coming, when I knew my ass whooping was coming, that's like age eight, 10. I knew I messed up and went too far. There was nowhere I could go. You want to know what's worse? The mom dad combo, right? First, it's mom who's upset and she had to do what she did. And you got like the swollen butt and you're lying in your room and you're grounded and all the toys are gone. And then the next step, you hear the keys hit and dad comes home and you're wondering if dad's going to make it round two. 
you have no idea, right? Never happened, mm-hmm. but I always thought it could have. That terror alone, that's what I think of when I watch it follow. Strangely, not the act. I'm making it comical because it's kind of scary to talk about that inevitability because DJ is 100% mm-hmm. correct. Inevitability, you're powerless to stop it. It will get you. It's just a matter of how. And you're going to try everything you can mm-hmm. not to make it happen. You're going to beat. This is quintessentially when your players go, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat UST. I'm going to beat you. But I'm telling you now, the answer is no. Yeah, because it's that. It, it, I think at the heart of it, really, after this discussion, the, the conflict is like a, a, a vie for control because you can't stop it. Right, you don't have a you don't have the choice about what's no. going to happen. Saying that you can't stop and stress at home, I want to add, that's what you're going to tell your players. That's what you're going to sell to them. Of course, they can stop right. it. Of course, there's a way to stop it. Right. right? Otherwise, what they are we doing? Can. And that's and that's what you should do is find it. It's not what are we doing. Game is not meant for you to win. I'm gonna say this. It's called a game because it's yep. fictional. We get together to agree to play with rules in a fictitious world, right? Improv acting is the the vector. That's how we interact with it. And the dice determine outcomes. That's why it's there. That's why it's called a game. It's not a game because you're meant to pass go collect $200. It's not a game because if you have boardwalk and park place, you win. There there is no win, right? The goal is, is good story. Good story is you hear this myth. It starts happening. And by the time you find out, hopefully one or several members of the coterie have stumbled across and understood the puzzle pieces to begin tumbling them together to survive it or defeat it because they find a unique idea that you didn't think of and they should be rewarded with success to stave off their demise, right? Like get to escape, tell the story and it lives on. They're the last victim the killer doesn't wipe out because strangely, that's what the hunter does. Leave one to tell the tale. Final girl. Final final girl isn't that the yeah, but that's the, a weird thing. Name? When people break down horror films and do that, the okay. final girl theory and, and whatnot, and uh, and the craziness that's a that, that, that's a bit echo chamber, in my opinion. A good story, okay. a good story. Why I, you have somebody survive to the end, and why it typically is a female rolled character? Probably, if you were watching the film, it's because she did survive. That's it. There's no reason. It's because her character did, <laughs> right? You want to know why? It's Jamie Lee Curtis that's battling Michael Myers. They're related. If Michael Myers can't die, stands the reason it runs in the family. I'm just saying, right? That's that's Holy it. And I'm not shit. saying it's a weird theory. I'm saying that that's a very literal thing when I see that film. He'll die when she does, by the way. Isn't that what they've said the whole time, right? Who knows? Maybe we're wrong. They'll make another 11 before we figure it out. But the point is... But the point is, the hunter has that potential. I agree, is a great, great story to round out this uh, this wonderful book. So that's it for mythologies. Um, there are other good stories we can compound and kind of wax poetic on, but we're gonna wrap this one up in a nice bow. I want to state that this is a fantastic book. I uh, the very fact that we talked mm-hmm. well past the time for this podcast that we had originally planned um, on two points, yeah, is a testament to the quality content that they did. With, by the way, I believe the smallest page count of the books that we've more or less come across of this caliber, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That means less it's is true. more here, which makes it a brilliant creation. If you don't own this book, you need to get it. Yeah. That's, um, 
this is one of the lower page counts, and it's like clocking in at 150. Uh, Chronicles of Darkness did not put out as many books as World of Darkness did. What they did is they upped the word count and the page count. There's every book in here has a lot more content, and it pays off. You know, otherwise we wouldn't have. I'm not a fan of making those statements. I'm not telling you you can't. I'm just saying I'm not because unless I'm going to go through and actually look at the construction of the book, I'm not worried or concerned as it comes to that. As it said, concerned. Like you know, I'm joking on it. Um, (laughs) I more or less care about content. To me, it feels like mature, hardened content was thrown in a requiem where you get to Mm -hmm. really make up a mind, but it also gives you some real solid leads to go look up yourself to figure out that's what makes it good and mythologies is, is just mm-hmm. a fantastic book for that um dj brennan i appreciate you coming with me on this i know it was a it wasn't a slog you actually owe me a thanks and uh not at all no it was it was the most fun <laughs> <laughs> and you're welcome or as we say over here and that's that so we'll uh we'll get that going yeah I had to pause for a second, and I was like, there's several things, but it's wrong context, and then all of Sweden will get at me. Okay, we'll do that later. Don't worry about it. Um, So, (laughs) uh, I've rambled. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Next week is Werewolf, where we will pick it back up, going over first edition Tribook, and uh, we'll see you then. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.